Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I walked in and the guy interviewing me was having a tuna sandwich and his feet were up on his desk. And he told me to put my portfolio down and to come and turn around for him. And before I knew it, I turned around and I was filled with humiliation and embarrassment. Let's talk about how you have managed to maintain for so long, you know, the, the 50 or so odd years that you've been in business. If you run your own business, there really is nothing else. I dive in and I dive in big. So either I'm going to really do that right or I'm not going to be able to do something. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF Podcast. This week on Inside Fashion, our chief correspondent, Lauren Sherman, talks to Norma Kamali, the American designer who has just released a new book, I Am Invincible, where she writes about her overarching goal of understanding life and love and giving women a map of how to age with power. Here's Norma Kamali, Inside Fashion. I'm so glad. I, d I don't know if you remember meeting me. We've met a couple of times, but it's nice to see you. I will never forget meeting you like 10 years ago in Balthazar. 
And there are very few industry icons who kind of live up to their name in terms of personality. And you are one of one of few <laughs> that have not disappointed me. So I think to start, since we haven't had you on before, I know your story is well told, but I'd love to hear, I think we have, there are so many young designers, so many entrepreneurs who, who read the site and, and listen to the podcast. And I'm sure they would all love to hear kind of your origin story because it is so unique and, and you have had such a long lasting, sustainable career, if you want to use that word. I've been in business 53 years and I'm 75 now. And, you know, it was never a plan. I never studied fashion design. I hated fashion uh, in 1962, 63, because it was madman type fashion. And I went to FIT and studied fashion illustration. And all the girls, mind you, dressed with gloves and hats and matching, you know, with corseted bodies and garter belts and girdles. And I was obsessed with classic movies. My mother, you know, always watched them. And so I wanted to dress like the women in the classic movies. And they weren't called vintage stores at the time. It was more in the thrifty area. And there weren't a lot of people wearing thrift clothes at the time, but I I was just obsessed. So I I dressed that way for a long period of time, even to when I'd already opened my business. So my first job interview after graduating FIT was for fashion illustration in the garment center. I really felt good about my portfolio. I had an amazing instructor. Antonio Lopez had the same instructor. I'm sure there are a lot of people who know who he is. And we actually met and became friends because she introduced us. And she really gave me her stamp of approval on my portfolio. So I felt good about having this job interview. And it turned out to be the, the most important turning point early in my career because uh, I walked in and the guy interviewing me was having a tuna sandwich and his feet were up on his desk. And he told me to put my portfolio down and to come and turn around for him. And so there was like white noise. I He was the power in the room. I heard my mother saying, get a job. This art stuff is not going to get you anywhere. And before I knew it, I turned around and I was filled with humiliation and embarrassment. And I ran out crying. My portfolio was tearing my stockings. I'll remember it vividly forever. And I just went home and I said, I didn't get the job. And I decided to get a job at the airlines because I wanted to travel. So I got a job in reservations in the office. And I had still to this day, no office skills. And I don't know how I got the job. I'm really shocked that I got it. It was very strict. It was the cool job to have at that time to work in an airline because air travel was just beginning to be the thing. And I sat behind a Univac computer. So I 
learned very early on how incredible technology could be in anything. And so when technology came around, I was like, yes, I know this is, this is good stuff. So I traveled every weekend to London round trip for $29. And what was happening in London? I stayed at a boarding house for $6 a night, just off Sloan Square. And I said, where are their stores? Or I didn't know what was going on. No, I had no idea. It was still too early to know that there was a revolution in London. And I saw the very beginning of it. There was one store on King's Road. King's Road was gray, just like you imagine London, misty gray. And there was one store that had colors exploding up the the wall of the building and this music blaring out that I'd never heard before. And I was like, you know, I was a big Motown fan, fan, so I like, what is this sound? And I went running like to the light and I was, oh my God, oh my God, this is amazing. Whatever is going on here, I'm home. I feel at home with this. And so every weekend, and it was, everybody thought I lived there. People knew me as Norma from New York and I was there every weekend when everybody was going out to the clubs and, and I was fully immersed. I brought back clothes from London. My first trip back after seeing a mini skirt, which had never been historically, everyone, mini skirts did not exist before this period. You did not wear shorts. You didn't wear skirts that showed your knees. Mad men, right? You didn't wear skirts that showed your knees. And now, not only your knees, but your thighs are showing. It was shocking. It was like so huge. And I, of course, came back. I had hemmed all my skirts because I used to sew myself into my pants because I didn't know how to put zippers in. So I always had a needle and thread. I sewed up all my skirt hems and Um, I came back to New York and everybody thought I'd lost my mind. Like, what is she doing? And then, of course, my friends wanted the clothes I was bringing back. And I was bringing back so many in a garment bag that was so stuffed, rolled out little. They taught you at the airlines how to pack really tight and it came in so handy. So I rolled up everything, wrapped them in rubber bands and brought back tons of clothes every weekend I would leave Thursday and come back on Monday morning and I took the worst shift that nobody wanted so that I could have long weekends. And so I thought, I think it's time to open a store. So I found a basement store on East 53rd Street for $285 a month. I got wallpaper from the Salvation Army and I found old things that I repainted. I painted a deco design on the floor and I had a store. And the store was the place where I could bring clothes from Biba, bus stop, designers that were doing one of a kind things, great vintage pieces from Antiquarius. And I had some really beautiful things in the store that were very different from what was going on in New York. 
And then into like maybe a year, a year and a half later, I started to have ideas of things that I felt should be next, should be sort of the next way to go. One of them were hot pants. And I hot pants are very short shorts that your butt didn't hang out. So it was sort of decent, but it was a shorter version of a mini skirt. And everybody wore boots at the time. And I used to do create these these scenes in appliques and they were in velvet and felt and all snakeskin. So soon enough, I left the airlines and started to make clothes myself. And I didn't really know how to sew, as I explained, that I didn't know how to put a zipper in or, but I knew what I wanted. And I did a lot of whip stitching in suede and leather and everything was in a one of a kind kind of concept and very crafty. And then other stores were opening around me too. And a lot of creative spirit and, a, and color and individual style everywhere. And it was a very exciting time. The late 60s and 70s, probably a lot of firsts would develop then. And so I am in my comfort zone in innovation. And so I was so in my comfort zone. And I realized at that point that I wanted not, I knew I wanted a creative life, but I didn't realize until then that it was fashion and that it was completely different definition of fashion. And so that was the beginning of my realization that that was my dream job that was sitting right in front of me. And had I not had that horrible experience with that man, I, and I thank him. I have no anger or bitterness. I am so grateful that he steered me. You know, the universe has an incredible way of steering you in another direction when you shouldn't be going where you're going. So that was the beginning. So two two things. One, the, the first store, that first store you saw, which store was it? It was called, it, it was actually called Dandies. And do you have my book at all? The, the newest one? I don't have it with me yet, but. Okay. In the book, there's a photo taken on King's Road and I look like I'm in a costume party, but I'm actually with people who had that shop right in front of that shop. I became good friends with them. And the picture is very funny, but it's what it was the first thing I saw when I arrived. And it's a picture that was taken, a double page spread that was taken by Perry Match of London. This was a little bit later on and they wanted to take pictures of clothes and in front of the shop, which was called Dandies. So everyone who, who has Norma's book should, should check out that, that image. Another really quick, quickly on that first experience you had, I mean, back then we, we write a lot about those types of circumstances happening in, in the fashion industry and just overall, obviously the rise of the Me Too movement and women attempting to, to help women feel more empowered to understand that that kind of behavior is wrong. But back then, 
I would assume that a lot of people would think, would not even, you know, even if they felt uncomfortable, they might not realize it was wrong. How did you know that his behavior was wrong? Was it just the way you were brought up? Was it in instinct? My own instinct about it, because it never, first of all, and, and a good part of the book is, is about this, about that period. I, when you're in your 20s or before your 20s, you're so vulnerable. You are, and especially if you're a girl, everybody is vulnerable. It's not just women. But if you're a girl and you're vulnerable and the power in the room is man, even today with all of the taboos and fears of being called out, there is a clear definition of who's in charge in the room. And women tend to be, especially used to be treated in a diminutive way. But if you were a fashion designer and a woman, hello, I, I, I will tell you through my entire career, owning a business, being a fashion designer, and trying to accomplish something as a woman, you are, they, most people think fashion designers don't know about much except fashion, right? We don't, we're not credited for having intelligence or other interests that may be business oriented or other so being a woman and during the time of Mad Men slash coming into a new era, not a good time. But my instincts, you know, you have these survival instincts, even though you're vulnerable and you're young. I just knew that all of the work I put into my portfolio and my dream of being an artist was not going to be fulfilled in that job. It, it, I just knew that it wouldn't be. And I, I felt better telling my mother I didn't get the job. I never told her the truth. I never, ever told her the truth about what happened. I was so humiliated that I had to do that because I knew there was, the job was secondary to that, that situation. And I wanted him to be sitting in a chair and not eating a tuna sandwich. I wanted him to turn the pages of my portfolio. I was like, focus, like, look at my portfolio. So, but, but, you know, it doesn't mean I didn't do something stupid at 22 or 24. Uh, you know, I wasn't any special kind of person. I was as vulnerable. I made as many mistakes. I, I had like other women had experienced painful situations. But going back to looking at the things that force us to go in a new direction, they're very often they're disguised as being an objectified situation. But it was clearly just such a blessing for me to have that so boldly telling me, you don't want to do this. You don't want to be in this building. You don't want to work in the garment center and you don't want to have this job. You need to get out. And I will tell you, I never had an office, a showroom, anything in the garment center in my entire career. I wonder why, she says. I, not on purpose, 
but for some reason, not, not going to be in the garment center. So anyway, memorable experience. Um, it seems like it was so formative and, and kind of set the tone for this, this really long career that you've just been so part of so many cultural movements. And I would love to skip, I know there's a lot, a lot to say about the seventies as well, but to the early eighties, when your brand really became super influential at globally and so much of what you created in those early years is still so relevant today. And still, you know, this winter, it, it's so interesting. I'm, I'm based in Los Angeles now, but just hearing from, we just moved here about six months ago and I was in New York for, for 15 years and just hearing people, everybody wanting to get warm coats for eating outside, you know, bracing for the winter and your, your coats were always mentioned there. They were always in the list of the market list of the like 10 best winter warm coats. And you know, the, I don't know what year you, you first did that, that sleeping bag coat, but it's, it must be almost 40 years at this point. Yeah. I, I did the first coat in 73. Um, wow. I was camping and I was camping with, it was sort of, remember, a flower power time, and we went camping. And we would sleep upstate in Narrowsburg, New York, and we would sleep in tents and go in canoeing in the river. And some nights were really cold, and we, you know, we weren't near bathrooms or anything. So I I remember one night I so didn't want to leave the tent because it was so cold. So I just took my sleeping bag with me and wrapped myself in it. And as I'm walking in into the woods, I'm thinking, I need to put sleeves on this. And so when I came back, my sleeping bag that was yellow flannel inside with geese flying and khaki color on the outside, I, I cut it up and talk about sustainable. I didn't waste one single piece of it. The only thing I didn't use from it was the zipper on the sleeping bag. I, I used every the collar, the sleeves, everything. And I loved it. And then I bought sleeping bags, actual sleeping bags, and I would make coats out of them. They were, again, in the one-of-a-kind kind of concept of doing things. And within a few years, I must report, I've made the sleeping bag coat every year since then. Never a year has gone by that I didn't make the coat. I still have the same classic pattern. I've added other shapes and in, and obviously evolved the technology and the and the fabrics. But the coat has always been made every year. And this this year, this past year especially, and you point out correctly, eating outside, supporting our neighborhood uh, restaurants and everything else, we've sold uh, a large amount of coats. I mean, it is still, normally at this time it slows down, but we're still selling tons of coats. 9-11 was another time that we sold a lot of coats. And I, I remember Going back to the building, we didn't have cell phones at the time and answering my checking the answering machine and people were asking for coats. And, and at the time, New York, the weather was very muggy and unusually warm. 
and people wanted coats and uh, because they were stranded in hotel lobbies and airports. So I called back my staff. I called back my local factories and we just, any fabric we had, we just started making coats. I realized that I needed to do it right away. And as a result, we were, we were back in business immediately and my factories were too. And I think in both cases now and then, a sleeping bag coat feels like somebody's hugging you. They're giving you a big hug of warmth. And there's a cocooning effect that I think clearly is a result of the, the increase in sales. The other time the sleeping bag coat was really popular was when Steve Rubell and all the doormen at Studio 54 wore the coats. So people would come in to buy the coats, men and women, because they thought if they wore the coats and they were standing outside, they would get chosen to go in. I did not discourage them to say that they wouldn't, but that was another time. And that was a time when the coat really became popular more than in my little cult following. So the coat has been around a long time. It's so interesting. I, I've had this urge to buy a pair of stirrup leggings recently. Right. And I can't find many. And I was looking, I think on matches or, or net a porte or something. And of course yours came up. And I was just thinking about over the years, and this was long before we talked about having this conversation, but thinking about over the years, your swimwear as well, it's just something that like, it never looks wrong. It always feels like, and I I don't want to use the word classic because that's not what it is. It it always feels right. You, You have a really good sense, like you were saying, of knowing what comes next, but there is also this this emotional intelligence to your clothes. And I'm curious to know as a designer, how much are you thinking about that when you're creating a garment? The, the fact that people, you know, are, are going to want to be comforted in this comfort coat or the way that a bathing suit fits. It's, there's just something about the way you cut things that it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel off. It's not that I think it's going to make me look perfect. It's just going to make me look right or good or something. And I'm, oh, I'm curious you. to know if as a, as a creator, how you, do you think about that when you're sketching or when you're draping or what have you? I, I think one trait uh, a designer intuitively has is that you're sort of a, a sensor for what's going on. And for me, because I had to learn how to run a business in the 60s and 70s. This wasn't a a thing women did. And then when I left my ex-husband in our business that we created together, I was like, well, I'm going to have to figure this out. And then I realized I actually like business and I can be a designer at the same time. And I'm not a brilliant business person, but I've sort of I'm still in business. So what can I say? There's something I have some instinct about it. And I like I like it. I like numbers that and the intuitive spirit that a designer has to have not only business news, but social news, interest in what women are feeling and thinking personally, all of that comes together as the form of information 
that I use. And I don't, I'm not clinically thinking about it, but it's, it's constantly being absorbed. And as a woman who lives a normal life, like every other woman, I don't have an extravagant life. I have an extraordinary life because it's creative, but I'm like my customer. I'm so much like her. I care about how I feel in the clothes. I care about my body. I want to have a good time. I want to feel empowered. I want to feel, I want to feel good. And I think about that every time I do something and I still make patterns. I still, I still do it because if I have an idea and the fit is very involved, so I do a lot of my swim patterns. I want to make sure that everything is where it should be so that the most amount of people that put this on should have a good experience with it. So I could never give up pattern making because it's so much of my communication with women. They're feeling what that garment is doing. And it's also part of the fun of it. I still love my craft. I, I can't give up the job of designing to other people. I still design my collections every season. It's, it's an honor to have that opportunity in a lifetime. So I'm in the trenches to make sure that what you said actually happens. Let's talk about how you have managed to maintain this business for for so long. You know, the the 50 or so odd years that you've been in business, which is just incredible. You know, the way that this business has worked, especially in the US, but everywhere. I was just reading a Vanity Fair profile on Mark Jacobs when he was at Perry Ellison in 1988 and there are differences in how the industry operates, but so many similarities. And, you know, most designers, especially independent designers who whose companies aren't bought, or even if they are, they go through so many backers. They have so many different investors. And I think back then, especially, it was like you have one investor for one year and someone else comes in mm. and you have another investor, then you file for, for bankruptcy and, and it still happens. I think now yeah. it's, it's really can be either really, really hidden or really exposed. And it feels like a bigger deal than it did back then, perhaps. Did you have investors over the years? Did you always maintain 100% ownership? Once you split with your ex and you own the business, was there any, maybe really quickly, we could go over like how you maintain the, the ownership of your name, that sort of thing. And just how have you been able to keep going all these years without getting into the these circumstances because it's it's amazing to think that someone couldn't get involved in some of these kind of bad bad investor situations well when i was bringing the clothes back from london my i got married at 19 so true confessions i was really smart and never <laughs> thought it was really a good thing anyway you know to kids get married, he was going to school and studying economics. So he would sell the clothes. And uh, while I was working at the airline, and then he would sell them while I was making the clothes. And then by the time you're 10 years later, you're not the same person at all between 20 and 30. It's, it's a big, it's a big change. And we certainly had grown in different directions. And 
he was using the money for other things instead of fabric. And some of the experiences were humiliating to me because he's dating sales girls and doing whatever. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't leave what I love. I can't leave what I built. I have to deal with this. So I was staying in a bad situation because I loved what I was doing. And then finally, one day, another one of those days that are so horrible, but you have to go, I left. And I remember asking a lawyer once, if I leave, can I take anything? I saved all these laces and all these things that I treasure. And he said, no, can't take anything. And I had already separated from him and I had, he managed the money. I had $98 to my name. I had an apartment with a mattress on the floor. I had no curtains. That was my situation. And I left and I did not have any idea of what I was going to do. I didn't think I knew anything about business because I thought men did that. You know, I was of that same mindset. And I never told anybody that I had a problem or that this was going on. I I, I never say anything. And an interesting thing is, I don't, I'm maybe, you know, Mary Lou Luther, but Mary Lou Luther was the fashion editor of the loss of the LA times at the time, I believe it was, that was the paper. And I never met with the press at all. He would meet with press and nobody really knew me. And she did for some reason. And she really chased after me to meet with me and had set up a time where we would have lunch. And I left and I didn't have a telephone number to contact her to say I can't make it. So I met her and my face is swollen from crying. And she looked at me like, what? happened to you. And I just told her everything. And she said, well, I can help you. I I can get you sewing machines. I can do this. And I was like, oh my God, she can help me. And I realized unless you let people know, nobody can help you. You can't, you can't get any further. So I understood that communication was another thing I had to learn because I was not a communicator. And so I did. I borrowed money. I reached out to everybody I knew, friends, family, and I reopened and I paid everybody back. And I would send, I was very sort of immature in my way I was doing. I would send a note every week with a check. And if I couldn't send a check, I would send a note apologizing for not sending a check. And and sooner or later, I, I paid everyone. And fortunately, I signed a license with Jones Apparel for the, the uh, sweats collection. And so I never had a partner because when you know, like in my mind, I want a creative life. I understood that meant I would never be the most famous designer in the world. I would never be the richest designer in the world, but I would have a creative life. And that was what I was going to do. And I understood in there were many situations where people wanted to 
partner with me or do a project with me or take over my company. And there were times where I was afraid I wouldn't be able to pay the rent and I could use that. I, it would be super helpful. But I, I, I knew I had to figure out a way to not get sucked into that. And I didn't. And it wasn't easy. It was, there were a lot of very scary crying on my pillow nights of trying to figure out how do I make this work without having people who are working for me feel nervous or anxious. And, and I, uh, I found ways and some, some of the ways were licenses. And so I hadn't really made any money to speak of at all until the license with Jones and Sidney Kimmel. And it was, I was, I was copied a lot before that. And um, and that used to make me anxious because I would see Bloomingdale's would buy dresses for my store and I'd see full page ads and I wasn't able to pay the rent. And, and there they were. And I would feel like I'm so vulnerable. I don't know how to, I don't know how to make money at this. And then mm. when I did the sweats, it was basically starting to design cover-ups for my swimwear and I love swimming. And I used to wear a gray sweatshirt from my brother's closet because at the time that's where gray sweatshirts were in army Navy stores and that kind of thing. So I bought, bought gray sweats and I did some cover-ups and then I did a dress and then I did an evening gown and then I did a suit and I had this 36 pieces of everything in gray sweats. And I knew I couldn't show it to anybody. I didn't know what to do. So I called women's wear and I asked them for advice. I asked them to come and tell me what, what I should do. And I wouldn't even show it to Sidney Kimmel. That's how paranoid I was. And he said, they're telling me I have to do this. Just give me an idea of what it is. And two weeks later, we had a deal and I negotiated the deal myself that's how naive I was. But I, I spoke to this lawyer friend and I said, so what is a license agreement and what do you ask for? And he said, ask for this percentage, this royalty, this fee, da, da, da. And I had a little stenographer's notebook. I, I don't know if you, you know what they look like. And I sat. Yeah, that's what I use. My stenographer notebook. And I, and he said, so what do you, how do you want to do this? What do you want? And I said, okay, one moment. And I was so silly, but I just called off everything. And he said, okay, let's do it. And we did. And yes, that was the beginning of the door opening for licensing. So I had a Japanese license for 25 years. I had hat license, shoe license, sneaker license, because I did Converse sneakers. I did high heel sneakers in 82. I did a, a whole bunch of really fun hat licenses, kids, everything for that. And, and it may, it got me to understand how to monetize a design how a design could really create a business, how it could be some a structure for a business. 
And of course, every decade, the way you do business changes, the way you show business, the way you sell, the way you design, all of that changes. So part of being relevant and having longevity is to immediately know when you need to transition to find another way. Maybe licensing isn't it. Maybe it's something else. And so I've had extraordinary experiences, including doing a collection for Walmart that I've never even been to a Walmart. And I have lots of business meetings and I don't do all of them, but I find them informative and I learn a lot from them. And I met a really great guy who we just really were in, in the same mindset about certain things about fashion. And a year later, he was running Walmart's women's division and he contacted me and he said, you have to come to Walmart. I said, you know, I think you're a great guy, but I don't think you're on the right path here. I, I, said, I don't even know what a Walmart looks like. I'm a city girl. I don't even drive. So this is not a fit. And he said, I'm telling you, get on a plane and come to Bettenville. You're going to want this experience, whether you say yes or no, just come. And he was so right. I am a, a Walton fan. I read his biography. I love, you know, American ingenuity. And so I was really taken by what a superstore looks like. But the deal they offered me to design a fashion collection for Walmart, I said, you guys, I don't think so. This this is not going to work and I'm not going to do it. And while I was there, there was a, a newspaper on the conference table and there was a white shirt dress in an ad. So I tore it out. I said, this is as far as you should go if you're talking about fashion. That's it. Anything more than this, I think you're crazy. And so I left and they ended up doing the fashion line with a designer and it didn't do well. So they call me and they said, all right, we'll come to you this time. We want to we wanna do what you were talking about. And so I created a classic wardrobe for them with um, trench coat, white shirt, classic black pant, a pump, a ballet slipper, T-shirts, simple dresses, but with great detail. And what I learned was, I remember saying, On the t-shirts, I saw a graph and it said 650 t-shirts. And I said, I don't know, like 650 t-shirts? That's all you know, 650,000, Norma. I was like, okay, (laughs) I get it. And so I was asking, uh, we had great factories, factories that were producing for Saks and Neiman's and everybody. And I would ask, on suit jackets that they open the buttonholes for the buttons like they do on men's. I would ask for all kinds of things and I got them because of the volume. And so you could really get good quality. And, uh, and, and besides being able to create a wardrobe for women who I met through the public school system. I've spent a lot of time in the public schools. A lot of parents just don't go to 
open school day to meet with the teachers because they're too embarrassed by the clothes they have. And so I really thought about her and creating clothes for her and everything was under $20, everything. And I even made a sleeping bag coat jacket that was $20, but it was good. It was not crap. It was really good. And I was very proud of every piece, even the heels. Walmart has so many standards. You have to have a steel rod in every heel so it never breaks. Walmart was focused on sustainability back then and really forcing their suppliers to follow uh, all of these sort of rules about the, the carbon footprint and where we were going with sustainability. And I developed such a respect for Walmart and we were their top seller online, women seller online, because people like me who had never gone to Walmart were shopping online. They were also buying bulk and selling it for $200 on eBay. <laughs> but I, I really loved that experience so much. It was very important for me. I learned a lot. And I realized the power of e-commerce. And that's when I transformed my company totally into an e-commerce company where we sold to e-commerce accounts and we became an e-commerce company. And I will tell you this year, I'm so happy I made that decision back then because oh, yeah. that's, how, that's how you make it through a year like We've just had. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, 
get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. So tell me how your business is set up now. You mentioned e-commerce. The way that a lot of people talk about it now is direct to consumer, but you've been doing that for, for some time what what do you have? Do you still have physical retail? I know you had a store for a long time. And I believe on 53rd Street or up 50, near there. 56. Um, 56. So I, in 1982, I bought this building on 56th Street. And I it's five stories. I have my sample room on one floor. We have a photo studio on the fifth floor. And I use the use it also as a design studio. And we, and it started out with three floors of retail. And at the time, that was what you did. And through the years, I reduced the, the space for retail and expanded showroom and office space. And I've had the first floor as a retail store. But with COVID, I closed it and decided I wasn't going to make a decision about what I was going to do with it, whether or not I wanted to have a retail store. Even when we had it in the last few years, we had everybody shopping online. We had QR codes where you could just go right to a product page. So people would come in to see the clothes in an exhibition gallery type exhibition and we would help them and they could either shop on our computers or on their cell phones. And we have same day delivery. So if they wanted something sent to their hotel room, we could do that. But I'm rethinking because of my book and my commitment to healthy lifestyle. I, I'm thinking about making the building, the first and second floor, especially a dedicated space for a healthy lifestyle, which would include clothes too. We have a, a line of SPF clothing and we have things that are smart clothes and function for healthy lifestyle. So I think I'm leaning in that direction. I feel very strongly about e-commerce. I really think there's still so many opportunities and the accounts we sell to are doing so well and our business is so healthy with them. And we spend even more time now understanding their needs from us and they spend time wanting to communicate with us even more. So the relationship 
as a result of COVID between us as a brand and our accounts has gotten so much closer and smarter and more efficient than ever before. And our business has gotten so much better and we're so much more efficient in the way we sell directly to our consumer. So I'm pretty happy with the opportunities that I see coming for more direct-to-consumer. I think there will be a time, again, to interact with people. And I want to experiment with it through normal life and through the book and what the book is talking about in that environment. Yeah, so let's talk a bit about the book. Why now? I know you've been working on, on it for a couple years Why did you feel the urge to write something at the moment? And what is kind of the mission of the book? And what did you sort of want to communicate to your fans and and other readers who come across it? I think it really came about through a, a friend of mine was having her 50th birthday. And a group of women got together and decided we would do gifts for her that were all based on turning 50. And so I got one of those little mole leather bound books and I illustrated 50 tips on turning 50. And because at 75, I'm an authority on aging, I used my authority to give her some tips. And and a lot of them had to do with everything from style to beauty to sleep, diet, exercise, all of that. And everybody at the party loved the book. And I was co-writing a book with an acupuncture, a Chinese acupuncture doctor about acupuncture facelifts. And so I asked the publisher what they thought, if they thought it would make sense. And they said, just make it a real book and make it meatier. So I came back a few months later and I had my graphics department work with me on doing the layout of the book because I don't know if you saw the book, but it's, have you seen it? So it's very graphic and and, and so some of it is shouting at you. Some of it is telling you a story. So there's a lot of texture in it and it's texture and emphasis. And so it's definitely not a memoir, and it's not meant to be a memoir, but I do look at healthy lifestyle as a tool. And the book is a handbook for women, and it's a book I wish I had. And I very often would say, look, somebody doesn't write a handbook about this, because if I only knew. And so through each decade of a woman's life, there are different challenges. The 20s have one challenge, 30s represent another 40s, another 50s, 60s, 70s. And so uh, what I did was I broke up the decades and created through my story information about that period of time and what the challenges would be and hints on maybe thinking about how to be fortified to deal with it. And some of it has to do with having a healthy lifestyle in specific 
illustrations of that for that period of time. And others would be general information just about what it's like to turn 30 and feel like life is passing you by when you're supposed to be thinking about getting married and having kids and it's not happening for you. Well, what does that mean? Well, I use the fact that I met my soulmate at 65 as an example that we all have a different timeline and certainly you cannot judge your timeline by somebody else's or some ancient concept of what what we should be doing at different points in our lives. So so the book is meant to really be something you can open up and read at any any point in the book but also if you read the book at 20 you need to read it again before you go to 30 because your understanding of 30 will be so different and how to deal with it and what to do and i really i put everything into it because i also know my purpose is to service women and i knew that the day I recognized that I found my dream job. And I really feel the book is part of my purpose in not only servicing them for clothing, but also sharing the information I gathered about healthy lifestyle. And and I gathered that information when my friends were dying of AIDS in the 80s. And my two best friends died in a year and I just didn't know how to deal with my grief. I, I was so overwhelmed. We did everything together. And here was this, you know, this thing, everybody was dying and how do you deal with it? And their immune systems were broken and they weren't able to defend themselves. So I decided I wanted to deal with my grief by learning about the immune system and what what do you do to have a strong immune system? And I started to research and I found, you know, in Arizona and Mexico, Southern California, people like Andrew Weil and Michael Pollan hadn't even written a book yet. He was just starting to write. And Dr. Lodog, who is a Native American Indian woman who still is just extraordinary, uh, talking about the earth and plants and the, the benefits of understanding plant-based diet and plant-based life. So through them, I, I would go on retreats with doctors who knew about chemistry and I didn't know anything, but I was a really good student. I was dedicated to learning about it. And so I sort of had this parallel life of trying to understand healthy lifestyle and trying to understand how to live it. And I never talked about it because it wasn't, it wasn't a conversation people really wanted to hear. <laughs> it's like, you're crazy. And then 9-11 came and I thought everybody's immune system is now stressed. And I opened the wellness cafe and I brought in products that boosted your immune system or other things. And so the Wellness Cafe was a place where people just came out of the woodwork who were thinking and talking about the same things I was doing. And I would have exercise classes. We would have teas and show movies and and, and have speakers and, and really um, 
juices when only one other place in the city that was a juice place downtown had them. And it was the beginning of my opportunity to share this with the same woman again. And this book is sort of bringing it to the next level and talking about aging with power and how at 75, I would not want to be 65 again. I would not want to be 55, 45. I absolutely did that. I learned my lessons from it. I evolved from it. And I love my age. I'm happy in my age. I'm happy in my body. And I'm happy with my goals for tomorrow. And I'm living a creative life. So it's good. Not every day is perfect. Every, you know, there's ups and downs and some things are great and some things really suck. But aging has to be reevaluated. The beauty industry and the fashion industry must stop using these words. It's okay to be politically correct with everything else, but with aging, you say anti-aging, anti-wrinkle, like stop that. It doesn't have to be that. We have to look at aging with power so that the thought of being aged out of a job or marriage or the dating market is not a concept we accept anymore, that we look at all of this in a different way. And I think the most powerful message in the book is about aging with power. So all of this, everything we've been talking about today, really, it feels like you have been on a mission in your life, you said to have a creative life, but it it sounds like from every aspect, from your creative, your personal, your business, your, your wellness, your internal, it's all about kind of doing the best that you can and living life to the fullest. If you want to use that cliche, I'm curious to know from you, I'm sure that you talk to a lot of young designers and a lot of young entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs. Maybe they're not, not so young Can you give one bit of advice about, you know, yes, I would, we've heard a lot of your business lessons and that's important, but as a business person, what is one lesson you could give about making sure the other parts of your life are being paid attention to as well? Because that seems to be so important to the success of a a business that you're also not neglecting other parts of your life. That's the real challenge, because if you run your own business, there is nothing else. There really is nothing else. I made a decision not to have children because I I knew I couldn't be a good mother. I'm very, you know, I dive in and I dive in big. So either I'm going to really do that right or I'm. I'm not going to be able to do something. I can't really, this is a human being. I can't mess around. So I made a a conscious decision that what my, my dream job was, was really so much of my, who I was and my identity. So for a long time, I had long relationships, but they never took priority over my work. So just to ask a man how he feels about that. Not so good. (laughs) So clearly, I didn't care, right? If I cared that they would be the the primary person in my life. But I, I also think I wasn't ready to 
have that balance. I just didn't, I wasn't ready for it. I definitely made a decision about balance. And it wasn't an accident that I met my soulmate at 65, because it wasn't that long before that, that I switched something in my brain and changed my life in a way, not consciously, oh, now I'm going to meet my soulmate. I just didn't think that was my destiny to meet a soulmate. I thought other people had that. But eventually, it proved to be true. So balance is important. But you know what, there are choices you make. And and my choice was what I did in in those years. As far as I do want to say something, mostly to Gen Z, because I love them so much. I love them. I love everything about them. I think with everything that's going on, my instinct is that one of a kind craft, that kind of business is definitely right in front of us. And not that you have to open a store, but I have a feeling you can negotiate any kind of rent right now. And I think if a group of people get together all with different things that they can contribute to a pie, you can have a website, somebody manages the site, merchandises it, is the creative for it, somebody else is designing the clothes, somebody else is doing sales or whatever, if you get a group of people and become a commune of sorts and look at business that way and start small that way. And if you have to have a job while you're doing that, have a job and do it. I think you're not going to find $285 rent, but maybe you will. In any case, it's the, it's it's a time now where the creative spirit and individuality is going to be cherished. And so if you fit that, now's the time to jump on it and make it happen. Norma, thank you so much thank for you. your time. Just a reminder, your book is called I Am Invincible and yes. it is out now. It, it came out in early February. You can buy it in a bunch of different places. I know you've got to run. Thank you for so much time. Thank you. Congratulations on, on your career. And I look forward to the next watching the next 10 years. Thanks for everything. Have a great one. If you're not yet a BOF professional member, podcast listeners can benefit from a 25% discount on your first year of an annual membership using the code PODCASTPRO. That's podcast P-R-O. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Venetia Van Horn Alkama, Kate Vartan, and Kevin Bobby Blanco in the BOF studio team. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person, too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. (coughs) Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help 
is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.